I'm going to read from Psalm 34. It says in verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul will make her boast in the Lord. The humble will hear thereof and be glad. I'll magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name. And we have the privilege to do it together. I sought the Lord individually and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. They, this is a great portion, together looked unto him. They were all lit up. They all sparkled. And all their faces, there wasn't a, a trace of shame. <clears throat> because they knew they were poor inside themselves. And with a need they couldn't met, they cried. And the Lord heard them and delivered him and her out of all their troubles. That's because the angel of the Lord, the very presence of God through Christ, was circling round about them. And they reverenced him, and he delivered him, them. And so keep tasting and keep seeing, you know, the Lord is good in him only, and you'll be blessed with the reality that you can trust him at all times. So keep reverencing the Lord, because you're his, you're his saints, and there's no lack in them that fear him, that reverence him. Even the young lions do lack and they suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord don't lack any good that they may need. So you can come because you're his children and you can listen to him and submit to him and he'll teach you the reverence of the Lord and that's what Christ does through the power of the Holy Spirit. What man is he that desires life, experience life, not just existing? And in many days that you may see the good that's only in him. Well, in his good, you will be able to keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking guile or deceit. And in that way, you'll, be, you'll constantly depart from evil. And you'll do, you'll do good because it'll, it'll be his good flowing in you. And in that sense, you'll always seek peace. And that goodness that's in you will keep you pursuing him. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and in Job 36, 7, he never removes them from us, and his ears are open to their cry. In other words, they're always open. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. Thank God that's not us in Christ. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The reality is the Lord is very near unto them that are of a broken heart. And this speaks of, again, a will being submitted and continually de delivers such as be of a contrite spirit. He delivers those, us and Christ, when we're severed by his grace, his mercy, his truth, when we are severed from the self-life. Thank God. And we're not, in that sense, we're not feeding on anything other than him. And even though many of the, the afflictions of the, are, uh, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but in, the Lord continually delivers him out of them all. Here's where we're going to in these last few verses. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. This is a beautiful picture, which was true and a continuance of what God thought about his son without going into details. But we know that when you read John the 19th chapter and you start at verse 32 and get to verse 34, <clears throat> that when those three were hung on the cross, Christ in between the two, one on the left and one on the right, and Christ in the middle, that to make sure that they had died or expired, they broke the legs of the other two, but they didn't break his legs. It was a continual, continual, perfect sacrifice. That, uh, and that's why all that the Roman soldier could do then was pierce him. He pierced him in the heart, and all that came out was blood and water serum. Blood, salvation, water, cleansing. So he keeps all his bones because they are very, very precious to him in terms of what they represent. Not one of them is broken. Verse 21 of Psalm 34, Evil will slay the wicked. Wicked can be the unsaved, or it can be, and wicked just simply means a non-believer. I refuse to believe. And for a believer, when you're taught, you can refuse 
to believe or submit to what's ours in Christ. And of course, we can only do that through pride. But evil will slay the wicked. It won't touch our position, but it can certainly destroy our experience. John 10, 10a. And they that hate the righteous, notice this, they that hate the righteous will be desolate. That's the word, one of the words we want to come to. Verse 22, at the end of the psalm, the Lord redeems the soul of his servants, those that he has so freed up and made worshipers, because everything about them is pure now in Christ. They're just free to worship in the purity of who Christ is in them and who they are in him. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants constantly. He's bringing us back to our proper place constantly and continual redemption. That's what, again, even 1 John 1, 7 is saying. Walk in the light as he is in the light. And the blood of his son, you'll experience a continual cleansing, continual redemption. And we have that eternal life in us in 1 John 5, 11, but it's a continual effect, not only now in time, because we have eternity in us, but all through eternity, where we meet him, where he rules and reigns, and where he so desires to rule and reign in us, in, in the midst of time, in the midst of us. So the Lord redeems the soul of those that he's made his servants, those whose wills are submitted to him, and join him in that sense, and you can see that in Psalm 22, verse 22, and Hebrews 2, verse 11. And even in eternity, he with us and us with him will worship the Father in songs. It's pretty awesome. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him will be desolate. None of those that trust in him will be desolate. The word desolate in the Hebrew is asham. It's A-S-H-A-M. That's what it says, asham. And it is a, a what? A primary and primitive root, and it means to be guilty. Notice that? That's literally what it means. It means to be guilty or punished. And so uh, all of us who trust in him as Savior, who delivered us from all of that, will what? Will be what? Guilty. We'll never fear being punished because it's over for us and him. There's no punishment. And that's why the Bible teaches us in Proverbs 3, 11, and 12 and Hebrews, the 12th chapter, in those beautiful 29 verses that even chastisement is loving chastisement because there's no punishment involved. God is not making us the sounding board of all his irritation and frustration at the sins that we are continually committing because those were paid for. Past tense, present tense, and future tense. They're already paid for. You will see that, and I will see that, in terms of the fellowship that we have in 2 Corinthians 1.9, because we have been delivered in those three phases in the 10th verse of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Again, those verses are 9 and 10. So that's what it means to be guilty. Asham, guilt. By implication, there is a fault. So there's a fault that was found in all of us, and because of it, there was guilt involved. There was guilt. There was also, because of the fault, and because of the guilt that we had prior to Christ, prior to receiving him, became what? A need. Was it a need that we could meet ourselves? No, it says in Philippians 4, verse 19, my God, what? Will what? Will supply. Will supply all your what? Need, singular, according to his limitless riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So how does he draw us to him? How did he draw us to him in terms of our salvation? We had a need. We needed a savior. We couldn't do anything about our guilt, our shame, our sins. It wasn't a thing we could do. Matter of fact, every single time that we would seek to do good, evil would be present with us in Romans 7, verse 21. We just couldn't do it. To the point where we would cry out in Romans 7, verse 24, we don't cry out, who will help me? The cry is, finally, who will deliver me from this body of sin? Verse 25, it's through Christ. And we need that deliverance now, again, 
1 John 1, 7, the light that we are in Christ as he is in us is that light that continually cleanses us. Now, that's position. But what happens when we function in them, in our experience? Do we need a continual cleansing? That's the operation of 1 John 1, 9. If we confess what's already been dealt with through Christ, he cleanses again the experience to be the equal of our position in him. That's what we are going to, again, lay the foundation even before we get into the book of Ephesians, what it means to be in Christ. There are so many types that help us that, with those truths, and we need to see those so that we can have a full understanding and continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ Jesus, our personal Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So again, it speaks of a fault. It speaks of the need. That's why you're going to see, and at some point we will get into all these offerings in Leviticus, those first seven chapters in the book of Leviticus. There are a number of different, different offerings in type pointing to Christ who offered himself up to the Father on Calvary. Again, that's the picture in Genesis 22 and verse 8 when Abraham and Isaac were on the mount. And that's when Isaac said, I see everything else. The only thing that's missing is the sacrificial lamb, the sacrifice, that that we're going to use to sacrifice. The answer that Abraham gave him in Genesis 22, verse 8 is, he said, my son, God will provide himself a sacrifice. So the Bible teaches us in propitiation, and that's what that was, in God providing for himself, first, he provided for us. God provided for us. He had to be. So even in that sense, Christ, when he offered himself up, was first and foremost to the Father. That is the sin question. That's John 1, verse 29. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away what? Plural? No, singular. The sin. The whole sin issue is dealt with between the Father and the Son. And then all those who would receive him as Savior would have their personal sins dealt with. The only way that could happen is through a sacrificial lamb. And that is why it's propitiation, substitution. We needed a substitute. We couldn't meet the need ourselves. Thereby being reconciled to God. Again, the Bible teaches, and we'll get into these certain teachings and doctrines, propitiation is, is in, in its first sense, Godward side. He had to be propitiated. Did he need to be reconciled to anything? No, we did. There's the substitute. That's what Job was crying out for in Job 9, verse 33. That's what 1 Timothy 2, verse 5 says. There's one mediator between God and man. It is the man, the substitute, Christ Jesus. And people end up in hell because they never had a substitute and never had their sins dealt with. That is brought out again in John 8, verse 21 and 24, when Jesus said to the religious crowd, why he's not the God of religion. He's the God of relationship through a substitute. You will die in your sins. And that is why there's even a great white throne judgment in Revelations, the 20th chapter, verses 10 to 15, because they're judged for their works. And what were their works? What would they amount to outside of Christ? It would just be sins. We've been clear. Now, when it says shame and guilt here and all those offerings, of which we'll get into again in the future, all those offerings for us, it was Christ. That's Romans 8.1. There is therefore now, therefore now, and that's the first, that is, that is beautiful when you look at and when I look at those, those chapters in Romans chapter 1 through chapter 7, and what it leads to when you come to the end in Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore what? Now. When? Right now. What now is it talking about for you and I? It's an eternal now that's been accomplished by Christ. There is therefore now no 
condemnation to them that are in Christ, period. Again, the rest of it in any other translation, if there's anything added, cross it out. It doesn't belong there in the original. It does in the fourth verse of Romans 8, but that's experience and not position. That's a huge difference. And boy, when we don't know that. Thank God through the, through the correction and through the teaching and preaching that the Holy Spirit takes the things of Christ and presents them to us. We don't fuse justification, cleared of all guilt and condemnation, with sanctification so that you can lose your salvation and you need to do something to get it back again. Why? Because there's constant shame and guilt you're dealing with and that you think that God has you to do something that his son didn't already finish. <laughs> so key in these, in these particular verses here. So incredible. So desolate. So that's why, that is why there always had to be, God always had to have a gift of restitution. And what is restitution, right? It's repaying. Restitution. That's what happens. That's what happened through sin, through every single human being. And so it had to be a gift of, of restitution. And for that to happen, there had to be a gift of atonement or reconciliation. And who is that? That's 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For God, the Father, God, made him, Jesus Christ the Son, to be the sin sacrifice for us. He made him to be the sin sacrifice for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Who's the source of all our righteousness, our right standing? In Romans 5, 1 and 2, it's Christ. He made us, and he's given us a right standing in our position. Then is that necessary as we grow in grace, in 2 Peter 3, verse 18, to actually experience the reality of it? Yeah, because he's preparing us for a face-to-face -face meeting with Christ. And again, that's brought out in Revelations 2 and verse 17. So he made him to be the sin sacrifice. Again, Jesus Christ never became sin. He became the sin sacrifice for sin and for all first for the father and then if the father hadn't been dealt with what would be the sense and that's again why jesus christ rose from the dead in acts 17 verse 31 and in matthew 26 1 through 28 1 through 6 there's a resurrection christ rose from the dead it's the proof of the overwhelming complete and utter satisfaction of the father for Christ with us in him. He wouldn't be seated at the right hand of the Father if that didn't happen. So there has to be a gift of reconciliation, atonement. And again, when you see atonement, the, the better word, the clearer word is reconciliation. Okay? Reconciliation. So in other words, there had to be a guilt offering. That's what it means. There had to be a guilt offering. Right? Who took care of all our guilt before the Father? That's Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation. God is not condemning us. When he asks us to do things and to function in his order, he's not condemning us. He's not telling us to be obedient in certain things because he's against us, but he's for us. Like being prepared and disciplined and coming ready to hear. Those things aren't said because they're against us, but they're for us to be able to receive the reality of who we truly are in our experience. That's all it is. And where would we fight those things? Any of us. We'd fight them where? In the flesh. Because God is not dealing with us, okay, outside of who we are in Christ. He's dealing with us. When self gets in the way, that needs to be dealt with in every single one of us. Now, it has been dealt with positionally. How about experientially? Is my experience the equal of who I am in Christ? That's what's going on with us through the preaching and teaching of the word. So that word, asham, is 46 times in the Hebrew. 33 of those times, even in the Pentateuch, and the Pentateuch, it's just that Greek word that means five, it's the first five books of the Bible. Right? How many remember what those are? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers. <laughs> I remembered. <laughs> 
So by the time you get into Leviticus, which all these types are pointing to Christ, they're pointing to him, and they were offering them. Had Christ come yet? No. Had he put on humanity yet in John 1.14? No. So their faith looked forward to the cross, what he would accomplish. It's finished for us. We look back. And guess where we all meet? We meet in Christ. So for all those Old Testament saints, okay, they are a heavenly people, but for us, who are we in Christ now that he's risen from the dead and established the church in Acts, the second chapter, who are we? We are not only a heavenly people, we are a church people. We are a church people, his body, his bride. And all those sacrifices. Now, there was a, in Leviticus, the fifth chapter, in verses six and seven, there was a specialized, a very specialized kind of, of sin offering. It was called a trespass offering. Trespass offering was offered. That's what Adam did. Eve was deceived. You see that in Genesis, the third chapter. She was deceived because she didn't have a covering. Right? In the type. And again, that goes into Christ. He's, he's in the masculine. We as his bride are in the feminine. In that sense, we need to constantly receive and respond to his initiations. And that's why even when you bring that into marriage in proper order, in 1 Corinthians 11.3, the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is the man, the head of Christ is God. There's a specific and beautiful order that's being carried out. And boy, we understand it through all these types. But here again, there was a specialized offering, trespass. It was to be offered when someone had been denied what was due him. Now, everything, God created us and gave us everything. And what was due him? What was, should be due him? We should be, worship him and worship and be thankful for everything. That should be. That's why for us in Christ, and remember, everything that he did as a servant for his father had to do literally with worshiping him. He didn't think of himself. There's no self involved in worship. Make, I want to make that clear. <laughs> there is no self involved in worship. It's purely Christ. I don't care what the songs are. If it doesn't point to Christ, it's just self. Offering up self as a sacrifice. And again, I want to make it clear. It's crystal clear as ever. It's not just the lyrics. It's the beat that goes into the worship, okay? And we may love him, but do you think we can mix self with it when we hear certain things that aren't true worship? And the answer is absolutely we can. We can. We can water it down to be way less than the worth and value of what it truly is. You begin to mix water with the wine, the purity of Christ. You see that in type in Isaiah, the first chapter and the 22nd verse. So again, everything he did had to do with the worship for his father. That's why in John 8, 29 and Romans 15, 3, he always did those things to please him. I mean, God had, why would Christ do that? Well, wasn't even he a creation? In his humanity of God, in Luke 1, 35, yeah. So even as a creature, in, in perfection, he humbled himself in worship. Do you see proper worship? There's humility. It's not thinking too highly of myself, not thinking too lowly of myself. Listen, it's not thinking of me at all. It's Christ. I lose myself in the beauty and the majesty and the wonder of who he is. That is worship. And there's not another thing that's called worship. And you can't have fellowship individually with each other unless that takes place in each individual. And again, are these things being said to condemn us? Well, is there any condemnation to them that are in Christ? Who would you condemn? You would condemn somebody who's guilty. Am I guilty in my position in Christ? No. What's my experience? Is there guilt? Does that need to be dealt with? Well, that's Hebrews 4.12. He begins to separate 
the guilt and the self-life from truly who we are in Christ. That is, again, in Hebrews, the fourth chapter, the 12th verse. That's why in the midst of the spiritual warfare, listen to this, each individual has to put the armor on. You can't, no one can do it for yourself. The type is, remember, remember in 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter, do you remember when Saul tried to put his armor on David? Just didn't fit right. He didn't need that armor. No one can do it for you. You have to put it on yourself in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verses 20 to 24. Then you can walk in love individually in 5, 1, and 2 of Ephesians. Then you get into spiritual warfare, and you yourself have to put that armor on. That armor goes into the precise teaching of the person and the work of Christ that he's accomplished. No one can do that for you, but you submitting to Christ. And you can't do it if you, if you don't know it positionally. If you've never been taught these things, how do you function? You just get by every day, day by day, and think that's the normal Christian life. Is it? No, we're more than conquerors in them in Romans 8, verse 37. So here we are, again, this specialized this was a specialized kind of an offering in Leviticus, the fifth chapter, in verses 6 and 7. Specialized sin offering, trespass offering. But even before that, what was the first offering that had to be offered in Leviticus, the first chapter? It was the burnt offering. You know what the burnt offering was? The Christ on the cross dealing with the Father's love and justice and his wrath. Right? What kind of love does God love us with? Oh, you can do anything, honey, and I'll love you anyway. I'll give you grace to live in sin. No, it's love, just love, justice. Justice. Thank God there's no wrath for us. You can see that in John 3, verse 36. 1 Thessalonians 1.10. 1 Thessalonians 5.9. There's no wrath for us because Christ took that on Calvary. But the burnt offering refers to Christ propitiating the Father about the sin question. Long before all those others could come in, where would deal with our sins, where there's so many a trespass offerings, sin offering, meal offering, peace offering, they all refer and point to Christ. Do we need to know these things? Should these things be? Should they be taught on a consistent basis? Do we, or will we ever come to the end of the growth that's needed in them experientially? So here it is. The trespass offering was to be offered when someone had been denied what was due to him. The valued amount defrauded was to be replayed. <laughs> Could we do that? Remember how we read it? Remember what we read in Psalm 34, verse 5 and 6? This poor man cried. What do we have to offer in ourselves? Poor, we're bankrupt without Christ because in him are all the riches of knowledge and wisdom in Colossians 2, verse 3. He's the treasure in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7 that's right in us. We have him to offer. We have him to offer up the sacrifice of praise in Hebrews 13 and verse 15. And that goes into worship, by the way. He's made us worshipers because that's what God would seek. God, is, God seeks worshipers in John chapter 4 and verse 23. Why? Because in 4.24, God is spirit. And they that worship him, listen, must worship him in spirit, listen, and truth. And that's what Jesus was saying in John 6.63, the flesh profits nothing. But the words that I speak are spirit and they are life. That's John 14.6. I am, Jesus said about himself, the way, the truth, and the life. In each one of those cases, the Ho is the Greek article. It's pointing, see, this way. No other way. This truth, no other truth. If you don't have that, this, this life and this only. Life is Christ. That's why we teach through the scriptures and being taught ourselves that it's not hard to try to live the Christian life. It's impossible because Christ is our life. And he is the source of all our fruit by the way, in Galatians chapter 5 and verses 22 and 23. We bring forth fruit even in our old age. Psalm 92 verse 14. And our fruit is from him in Hosea 14 and verse 8. 
So there were, there was the value to be paid, and even in Leviticus 5, 6, 16, and Leviticus 6, verse 5, it was to be repaid plus 20%. Now, how are we going to measure all that? Who measured everything? Who was the only one, the only two that could measure it? It was God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son on the cross. He measured sin. And we can't measure it. We can't. But we can by knowing what it cost him. Just as much as we can't measure the grace that's ours, we have to continually learn. We will be continuing to learn all through eternity about positional and experiential. But can you imagine it's face-to-face without disturbance or distraction or interruption (laughs) for all eternity? Quite, Quite awesome. So again... What does it speak of? It speaks of what a ritual infractions. Why? Because there were periods of leprosy in the children of Israel. And what is leprosy a type of? Sin. Areas where we function in leprosy, sin. Dealt with in opposition, but we still function in in our experience, what's needed. Confession for us on 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, it's part of our growth too, by the way. If we confess our sin, he is what? Faithful. Who's he faithful to? Himself and his son, what he's accomplished on our behalf. He's faithful and just. There's love and justice working together, never separate. To forgive us our sins, that's grace. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Pretty awesome, isn't it? And it goes into so much in the types too. There was even a... an offering called for the sins of ignorance. The sins of ignorance is Leviticus chapter 4 and verse 27. The sins of ignorance was the fact of sins of omission. I mean, there can be guilt in us and we are not even aware of it. Because we omitted something. We just were ignorant. We didn't know. Just we passed it by. Why do you think God gives us such preciseness through the word? Because he so loves us. And doesn't want anything to interrupt the intimacy of his love for us. That's already been established in our position and wants it in our experience. And he's training us. So there was for the sins of ignorance, not just commission, what we were aware of, but omission. And thank God for that. So Leviticus 4, verse 27, that goes beautifully, incredibly beautifully with Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4. It also goes perfectly <clears throat> with 1 John 1, 9. And 1 John 2, 1 and 2. You see the beautiful correlation there. At some point, maybe we can can get into those. But to finish this up this morning, there were periods of leprosy and defilement which took from God a commodity or service. What interrupts our thankfulness and our worship in us? Experiential sin. Do we understand what worship is now? much more clear way what worship truly is. Not just the thousands of people getting together and jumping and dancing. and <sighs> That is not worship. Now, I'm not saying that individuals there in their growth might not be worshiping him apart from all that. But still, don't have to be there. <laughs> Don't have to be there. None of us have to be there. So again, there was something, a defilement through the leprosy of sin that took from God a commodity, something that he deserved and should have been his service, which would go into worship, rightfully belonging to him. Do we belong to him? Come on. I mean, what makes us think that, that everything about our life has to do with us? I mean, you know, are we the temple of God in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16? Have we been bought with a price in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, and 20? It makes it clear you're not your own. Because when we're wrong, guess where we live in? What are we going to live in? Sin. It's all we do. Ignorantly or rebelliously. Ignorantly or rebelliously. Can you imagine living in the rebellion of sin and thinking... In 1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23, that I can still offer up a gift to God while I'm living in known rebellion 
and stubbornness. Oh God. Mm. He wants it to be precise for us because he's against us. He's for us. He's for us in the most incredible way. And so for that, what's rightfully belonging to him can't be met by you and I, but it still requires, it, it requires a payment plus restitution. That has to be paid for, and then all that other stuff that you did, that has to be. There's restitution that needs to be made. Can you imagine, can you and I imagine this? If God, and this is where the beauty of this verse, these verses go into, in Psalm 130, right? Verse 3, it says, it says this, out of the depths have I cried unto you. You know what that can be? That can be areas of ignorance, Known rebellion, and as a result, what we did, and we cry out the death that that brought into us and the misery. And thank God, mercy deals, uh, uh, mercy deals with misery and relieves it. Grace restores us back to a proper place so beautifully. And one is subtraction. That's mercy. He subtracts the misery from us, thank God, so that we can function in grace, right? And that's what he adds to us. God's a great mathematician. But no equations make any sense outside of Christ. So out of the depths have I cried unto you. And we need to know some of those depths and we need to have them defined. That's what God would have us to do by all these types. And understand them, too, in a very clear way, in a very necessary way for all of us. I cried unto you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. O Lord, if you should mark iniquities. Oh, God, Lord, who could stand? If you should mark even my sense of ignorance, how could I function? But you know... Christ not only paid for my sins of commission, known disobedience, but the areas areas he has covered me and paid for till he can cause me to grow, reveal them, and I make a decision in truth by his grace, and that's prevenient grace. That's his anticipative love and his prevenient grace. And what did not God anticipate about you and I and have grace involved apart from my will that was apart from his son? Never. Never. We need some thorns, though. But if you should mark iniquities, O Lord, who can stand? That's what 1 John 1, 9 is saying. That's what it is. There's going to be areas that we are ignorant of. He's going to make them known. And so that we don't, so that we don't function in the, in the shame of them, we have the opportunity to deal with them, confess them, and have them done away with in our experience just like they are in our position. Boy, these things, boy, we need to know these things on a continual basis. We need to be taught continually, all of us, if you should mark it. So again, that's 1 John 1, 9. Why does it say, if I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin? That's known. But what about, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness? He'll keep me cleansed in growth and grace, until even the areas that I'm ignorant of, when the light comes on, he can show, He shows them, and I deal with them. Because those are, could be the depths that I'm crying. I don't even know why. But he does. He does. And he dealt with them through his son in, in our place. So if you should mark iniquity, oh Lord, my God, I mean, if you were up there, imagine God like that. Huh, they didn't know it too bad. If he did that, God is so merciful. If God did that, the picture in the Hebrew is up. Oh, they did it again. I don't care if they're ignorant or not. I'm writing it down. Can't have anything to do with you. Growth stops. Grace stops. You're all done. No. Look, if you should mark iniquities, oh Lord, who could stand? But separation from that, there is forgiveness with you that you may be reverenced. And boy, what a beautiful picture that is, that he may be reverenced. And so we see this in these types, this, this restitution, the repayment and restitution that Christ is and has dealt with on our part. There's reparation made by giving an equivalent compensation for a loss. And who could only do that? 
and who did it for us. There was damage done. There was injury caused, our sin, to the, to the love and justice of God. So if there's love and just love, if there's not grace, what will there be? Wrath. Because you can't separate love from justice. It's his nature, character, essence. It's his very makeup. You see that again in Exodus 34 and verse 6. So there had to be restoration of property or rights previously taken away, conveyed, or surrendered. And can we do that? Can we surrender everything that's ours in our position in Christ? No. But how about our experience? We most certainly can. That's why we need constant confession. But with that, and constant confession, can confession is the constant, constant conviction of his love for us. <laughs> not he's against us. We're not confessing. And by the way, in, in 1 John 1, 9, we're not, we're not asking for forgiveness. That can enter into a prayer, yes. But we're not asking for forgiveness. We're confessing that we are in Ephesians 4, verse 32. We're confessing that he has dealt with it. Okay? And that's why when you get into Luke, the 18th chapter, you see, you see the publican and, and, and you see who? You see that and the sinner. You know, The Pharisee was there saying, I offer all everything up that I did for you, God. I don't need anything. It's all me. That's legalism, covenant theology, lordship, salvation, all these other things that we're not aware of, but those that teach them do and are in measure. But then the sinner was standing afar off, and he was beating his chest, and all he could say was, have mercy on me, O Lord. You know what he's crying out for? Please be propitiated. He was praying for a substitute. We don't pray that. That's not our prayer. We've been forgiven. We just simply confess it. Can you imagine if most believers understood these things? Do you think we need to know them constantly? And we'll never come to the end of them in our growth and our need. Well, again, restoration spoke of to restore to the former or original state and position. When we confess our sins that Christ dealt with, God restores us in our condition, experience, to our proper position, our standing in him. So in the Bible, it talks about our standing. That's Romans chapter 5, 1 and 2. We are standing before God in Christ, perfectly righteous. That's our position. That's our standing. It's unchangeable. But how about my state, my present state or condition? Is it the equal of my position? Is it the equal who, of who Christ is in me and who I am in him? Is it equal? in my experience. And thank God for 1 John 1, 9. We can confess it. See? Oh boy. Tremendous truths, Father. Thank you for them. So again, it, it goes into the state and in, in position, or position and experience, state and standing, standing and state. Every violation of property rights required payment, full reparation and restitution to the one that was violated, as well as preventing, presenting the guilt offering to God. Yeah, now, you need to pay this. And you're guilty. You can pay it, but you were still guilty of a late payment. But are we still guilty in him? Romans 8, 1, no. First one. No guilt. If you can't condemn me, and you would condemn the criminal because a crime was committed and he was found to be guilty. That's what Christ has met on our behalf. He has met that. That's what makes these mornings so very vital. This is why, honestly, that we, in being lovingly for you, God would have us all to come prepared, disciplined, ready to hear these things, because we can miss things. And we are so easily distracted, all of us. All of us are. And that's why it's so very necessary for these things. So again, as we begin to wrap this up, all that had to be met by a guilt offering to God because he was the Lord over all. If the offended party was dead, reparation and restitution were made to God. What? 
Were we dead spiritually? Can I function dead as far as God's view of me in Christ is in my position? No. He never removes his eye from the righteous in Job 36, verse 7. But can I, in my experience, through living in what's been already paid for, separate myself in my experience from who he is and who I am in him? The answer is yes. The answer is an emphatic yes, but thank God we have that. So that's what we need, and it's because we have a priest who's done all that. I'll read these verses as we begin to wrap this up this morning. And then I want to get into the second part of that uh, tomorrow, or even tonight, I think, if God would have that. So here is what we're talking about. He needed a priest to do all this. Aaron was the priest. He was a type of Christ in the work that he was revealing and teaching Israel about Christ who would come in the future. But Christ himself was the priest. He was the victim, the sacrificial offering all in one. So here's a Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, right? We have this great high priest that is passed into the heavens, not like Aaron on the earth and had to do it constantly. The work is finished for us. In John 19, verse 30, as his church, as his bride, as his body. So he is the great high priest. We have him. He's ours. That is passed into the very heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our, where it says profession, cross it on and put confession. He's our confession. We need, that's what confession is. It makes it a real experience of our position. <laughs> and we may only profess, profess it because we're living in sin. But when we confess it and having that sin dealt with us experientially in 1 John 1, 9, now we confess who, who he truly is and what he's done and who I truly am in him. Our confession, verse 15. For we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He did it. He was touched by all of it and the perfection of his humanity, his impeccable humanity. But all of that he saw. And it affected, sin affected him like no other. Even though he was sinless and had no sin nature, but had a human nature. And that goes into so many other things. For we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points... Tested, not tempted, right? Because you can't tempt God with evil. James 1.13. <laughs> like as we, like, 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 ye, ye, like as we, yet without sin. The Greek says, apart from sin, sin's a nature. Makes it crystal clear in the scriptures. In the original, though. Verse 16. Let us therefore come what? Boldly. Why? Because we're operating in love. And is there any fear in love? 1 John 4, 17, as he is, so are we. We're to come boldly, right? We're to come boldly. We're to have boldness, it says, in the day of judgment. But how about now? Should we continually come boldly? Yes, because we have a great high priest who's dealt with these things, dealt with our personal sins, and on a continual basis, even in our experience. And he wouldn't be able to deal with them in our experience if they weren't dealt with in the position that he himself became as our substitute so that we could be reconciled while he was propitiating God. Let us therefore come boldly. We're to have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is right now, so are we in the midst of this present evil world. Then there's no fear in love. Fear. There's no fear in love. Phobos. There's no fear in love because love that's been perfected and completed, everything about us individually casts out fear because fear has what? Torment. Calasis, torture, trouble, punishment. Is God punishing us when we sin? Is that what we're confessing? Wouldn't line up with the scriptures, would it? He's lovingly disciplining us back into a proper position so that my experience now is the love that he continually loves us with. Not against us. He's for us in Christ in Romans 8, verse 31 to 39. So let us come therefore boldly in Hebrews 4, 16, unto the throne of what? Grace. 
that we may obtain what? Mercy. And that and find what? To help right in the nick of time, the time of need, the time the need needs to be met. And are they met in Philippians 4, verse 19, through Christ? Can I now do all things through Christ, who is my strength and makes me mighty, in Philippians 4, and verse 13? So again, the guilt offering, we had to have a guilt offering. That goes into, because we have a priest in Numbers chapter 5, 5 through 10. Yeah, Numbers 5, 5 through 10. We have a priest, our high priest, who was in type, but Christ the anti-type in Hebrews 4, 14, we had to have, he would offer the guilt offering. Because our sins were on him, he offered himself as the sin offering, the guilt offering, and all those different offerings in Leviticus 1, chapter 1 through chapter 7. Right? So, But it had to be that. It had to be him that did all of that. And we need, listen, we need the preciseness of these things. And thank God, even when we miss things, we can still have them and still listen to them as we need to grow in them and, and pursue them, though. You know, again, we need to continue to pursue them because if we don't, we're not going to grow in them. And when other things substitute that, of which there can be a multitude of things that take us away from even our own personal study. So here God has given all of this to us. What should we do with it? Individually, what should we do with it? Well, I don't know that. Well, why? It was presented. It was given. It's given to all of us. What took its place? What took its place? It's necessary. Now, without any condemnation, and there's no condemnation or accusation in this, nothing could be said to us by God that would be against us. It would only be for us. So make God your scheduler your planner, and then rest and trust in him. He'll, he'll show you. And if we lack wisdom, we can ask him. Amen? In James 1, 5, we can ask him because he loves us. Because wisdom flows from what? Love. It's always loving wisdom. And that even goes into the conviction of sin so that we function in a purified conscience. Wait till we get into that. I can't wait. Father, thank you in Jesus' name for all this truth. Amen.